Duncan, and I'll pray for our discipleship offering. Amen. Keep uh, praying for one another this morning. Amen. Father, I praise you this morning for this lesson we're about to receive. I pray for Brother Miller as he teaches us this morning. God be with the DeMoofs and also God, Sister Linda, as they teach our children downstairs. Keep your hand upon each and every one. God, give us ears to hear and a heart to receive your word, God, that we may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, God, and increasing in the knowledge of God with spirit of power and might and long-suffering in the inner man this day, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Miller. Praise the Lord, everyone. As always, it is good to be in the house of the Lord and glad for what God is doing and what he is going to do. Are you glad to be in the house of God? David said, I was glad when they said unto me, what? Amen. If you can't find no other place to be where you enjoy yourself, the house of God should definitely be one of those places. Amen. So, we are continuing with our theme here, talking about the power of Christian witnessing. And um, nowadays, more than ever, it is vital that God's people become engaged in the work of God. And that is done primarily through witnessing. So we discussed about what it means to be a Christian. We talked about how to become a Christian. It is not something that you can do on your own, but it is something that God does in you, and then he does through you. You're able to be a witness because he enables you or he enables us to be a witness for him. That's why Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says, and you shall receive power, right? Verse 8, excuse me, verse 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses, right? But not until you have received what? From what? The Holy Ghost, right? Which is the spirit of God. And what is God's name? Jesus. All right. So we've talked about all those things up until this point. And so we're going to kind of focus on the word witness this morning. As Jesus already said, and we just read, you shall be witnesses. So what does it mean to be a witness? Merriam-Webster's definition says a person who sees something happen, such as a crime. A person who makes a statement in a court about what he or she knows or has seen. A person who is present at an event and can say that it happened, such as a wedding other words used in the place of a witness is testimony, confirmation, corroboration, substantiation, validation, proof, 
So he says, you shall be confirmation unto me. You shall be substantiation unto me. You shall be validation unto me. You shall be proof unto me. In essence, a witness represents one who can contribute to and vouch for something. Now, it is important to recognize that we only have the ability to view life through our personal perspective. You can only view life through your personal perspective. Now, I need two volunteers. Two volunteers. Nobody want to volunteer? I need one more. I'm going to bring you in the middle of the aisle here. One more volunteer. Come on, sir. Thank you. (laughs) Well, Jesus. All right, this is what's going to happen. I've got Brother Richard here and I've got Brother Wayne. What I want you all to do is about face. You're going to put your backs to each other. All right. Now, this is this is a simple illustration. Brother, no, not ten pages. No, we gotta do it. Draw down. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> Brother Richard, can you please tell us what you see in front of you? Well, I got a clock and an exit sign and two doors and a foyer. All right. Now, Brother Wayne. Has not seen the back of the church ever before. So, Brother Wayne, do you see what Brother Richard sees? I can't see it, but I can imagine it. All right. Now, I'm going to ask Brother Wayne what he sees in front of him. Uh, I see the pulpit. I see American flag, Christian flag. I see a baptismal tank. I see a set of drums and, uh, and a piano and several chairs. I see an altar and... Everything's on top of the platform. All right. Now, Brother Richard has not seen the front of the sanctuary before, so can you see what Brother Wayne sees? He did a very good description of what's front of the church. But can you see it? Oh, yes, I can see it. I mean, visualize it. You can visualize it. So you're imagining it. Yes, I'm imagining I knew, I knew that this was going to happen. Something told me I was going to get two of the most sarcastic gentlemen in the church. Y'all can sit down. Thank you. Now, thank you, brethren. As you look at the illustration, you obviously can tell that you have two individuals facing the opposite direction, right? So the only thing that they can say they are looking at, that they can physically see and observe, is what is in front of them. And they describe to you what they saw in front of them. But if I were to ask the individual that was looking behind, or whatever individual was facing a certain direction to describe what they, were, what they saw behind them, or whatever was behind them, it would probably be a little bit more challenging, especially if you've never seen it before. The bottom line is you can only see life through your perspective. That's it. 
So whenever you go somewhere, that's why people say, oh, you know, don't ever say, you know, you know how I feel. Because you don't. Right? And even if you have things similar to what I've experienced, you still can't say, you know how I feel. You can relate to how I feel. But you can't say you know how I feel. You'd have to be me in order to know how I feel. Right? So, we have the ability to view life through our own personal perspective. Unfortunately, not every perspective is accurate. So if I'm looking in a certain direction and I say, this is all there is to it. Well, obviously, if I'm looking towards the back of the sanctuary, there's more to the sanctuary than just the back door, right? In fact, we don't want visitors coming in and we just say, here's the back door. (laughs) Right? We want them to come to the altar, right? So we got to see every part of it. That has to be part of our perspective. But if I'm only seeing one part of it, then that means that my perspective is inaccurate. Because all I see is the back door. So when everybody comes in and says, oh, what's in your church? The back door. Okay, I know not to visit there. So, because our perspective or every perspective is not accurate... We tend to rely on education and experiences to adjust our perspective in life. When you go through school, you know, you know, as a child, you start off with a certain perspective in life, right? A lot of it is just, you know, you're innocent. You don't really know. But as you go and you get, you know, education, You know, you learn two plus two is four and you learn English words and the letters and how they combine and how to form sentences and so on and so forth. Right. That increases your perspective because you not only learn words, but you put words together with pictures and you are able to identify and describe what it is that you see, what you're trying to relate. Right. How you're trying to communicate with others. So your perspective becomes broadened because you're educated. Right. You're being given some tools to help you see a little bit better or see life a little bit better than what you saw before and of course experiences definitely enhances our perspective okay so in many cases a child's perspective is vastly different from that of an adult and vice versa a child's perspective on life can be improved or damaged depending on the influencing factor now Because a child is a child, we understand that, you know, I mean, granted, we've got societal influences on our children now. This is one of the reasons why I become so concerned with my children in public school. Because there is a hidden message that's being pushed. And I'm not just talking about the, you know, the the, the blatant stuff. You know, everybody talks about the Muslim religion being taught and all that other stuff. But there's some hidden agendas that's being pushed 
When I send my child to school and I tell them, you know, make sure that you keep your mind on God and, you know, you think about the things that, that pleases God and you don't listen to things and you don't involve yourself in things that is displeasing to God. And then they go to P.E. and they're playing all kinds of music that does not glorify God. That's a hidden agenda. Because if I were to go to that same school and say, hey, do you mind playing this track by John P. Key? They might play it as long as it doesn't have Jesus in it. We had a we had a situation where we were in uh, Korea and we were trying to do something for the youth. And we went to a bowling alley. And all we wanted them to do was play Christian music. And the only way we could do it is if we rented it for a few hours to ourselves for the whole group. There was no they would not play it in a mixed environment. Because they didn't want to offend anybody. But does anybody think about my children who are being taught a certain way? Does anybody think about offending my children with the things that they're playing? And we're not just talking about, you know, little kitty stuff. Some of these songs, and when you see the videos and you see, I mean, the songs are popular. So they connect the visual with the song. Some graphic stuff. And they're playing it in the schools. And it's okay. But it's not okay to pray in school. So from a child's perspective, this is what they're exposed to. Right? This is the question then. If this is what they face, let's see, how many hours on on, on average do they spend in school on a normal day? It's about what? Maybe nine hours? Maybe more? Usually they go to school, start about 8, right? Somewhere around there and get out of school about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, right? So for that whole time, what are they being exposed to? We're not even talking about the spiritual atmosphere. Now, from a child's perspective, they pick up on things that they don't understand. They just know there's something different, Right? Man, this is, this is, whatever this is, is not in line with what I'm being taught and what I'm being exposed to. Now, can I flip it? Sure. Then the question is, if they're not sensitive to those things, what are they being taught? What are they being exposed to? Not at the schools, but at the home. What are they sitting in? If the home environment is similar to the school environment, they're not going to be sensitive to any difference. Y'all with me? I noticed a little, taking a little. Because, see, we as adults, we know how to put the mask on and take the mask off. We know how to put stuff on and, you know, when we feel like we need it and then take it off. But for a child... They're at the disposal of whatever's there. Right? So, if the home environment is not conducive to godliness, that's twice as worse. And oh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, when they go to the school, 
whatever they pick up at school, they're bringing and they're adding to whatever's already there at the home. Now, when a child comes to me and says, hey, this so-and-so has been picking on me or this is what was said or this is what was done. I, as an adult, can do one of two things. I can kind of overlook it and say, oh, it's no big deal, you know, lighten up, it's okay, you know, it'll be all right. Now, that's from a parent's perspective. But what I didn't do was try to consider what they were going through from their perspective. They're sharing what they're sharing with me for a reason. Most children will not come to you and share stuff unless it matters to them. Think about it. You know, you ever seen little kids come and share stuff like, you know, Oh, a little ant crawled across, and you trying to listen to the child to see what they're saying, and they talking about a little ant crossed the street. And to you, to us, it's no big deal as adults, right? But to them, it's a big deal. It matters to them. They saw an ant cross the street. Well, it's no different when they come and they present a situation. It's what matters to them. We can do one of two things: we can brush it off, or we can become more aware. Because by them expressing what's going on, it enhances our perspective on life to include with our children. So now when they come in and they express what they're expressing to me, now I have to look at it not just from a carnal perspective, but a spiritual perspective. You know what's amazing to me? It's amazing that we have a lot of people that say, I'm Christian, but then they won't take and apply Christianity to the situations in life. Why not? I understand we live a practical life, but let's face it. All of this was put here because of who? Who created everything? Oh, and who created that little gem that we're raising? So who knows the purpose of that child? So who better to seek? If I'm going to give an answer, if I'm going to effectively, because look at it this way. As a parent, and I know some of us, you know, we have children that are older, but as a parent or maybe grandparent in that case, you have a role in ministry. That is part of your role in ministry. So every time you interact with that child, it is a ministry. So when you look at it that way, it should, it should compel you to maybe consider things a little bit more, a little bit more seriously. If that child is coming to me, there are some silly moments, yes, and you can identify those. But if there's something wrong with that child or there's something that you don't just, it's not adding up. Or they come and they just say something. Sometimes a child will come and say something. And they don't feel right about it, but they'll just express it, and they don't even know what's going on. But if you're in tune, you're able to help that child. Because what happens is, if it goes neglected, that becomes a, a part of their thinking pattern. So if something is neglected, there's a gap. And when they get older, they can't connect that gap. That part was missing what they needed. So that means that their thinking or their perspective becomes inaccurate. Y'all with me? Now it doesn't add up. The things that they think about in life, it doesn't add up because they didn't get everything they were supposed to get as they were being developed. That's why the Bible says train up a child in the way they should go. 
All too often what's happening a lot of times in homes is we're training up a child in the way we want them to go. We want them to go. You ever heard about parents that's trying to relive their childhood through their big mistake? Don't do that. Because then the problem becomes, if I'm trying to relive my childhood through my child, chances are they're probably going to face some of the same things. I'm creating a pattern for them. And then you have those children who are strong-willed, right? I'm going to be, I'm going to do what I want to do. So regardless of what you try to push on them, now they're rebelling. I tell my daughter, I said, there's a difference between determination and rebellion. But somewhere in the crossroads, that's where we come in as parents and we say, okay, I'm trying to help uh, channel what God has given you, how he's designed you, so that it becomes determination, not rebellion. Everybody with me? This This is all just from a child's perspective. This is all, you know, just basic stuff, general stuff, but it's important. As an adult, we see things differently because we've already had our experiences. We've already been teenagers. We've already been children. And now we look at life from, you know, perspective of I've got bills and I've got responsibilities and I've, you know, I've got all these things I got to do. I got timelines to keep, so on and so forth. This is my schedule. All that stuff that's going on under there, that's really minute. Unless it becomes a big deal. What? The teacher called you what? But what about all those other times? Where things were going on. Was I really listening and paying attention? So a child's perspective, my, my perspective as an adult can be enhanced by whatever the child's perspective is. If they are sharing that with me, my perspective can be enhanced. And a child's perspective can be improved by whatever I offer or in, use to influence them. That's why it is so important to position ourselves in the will of God. And God gives us the wisdom and direction on how to deal with our children. You know, some things you can't break by words. You see a behavior that's going on with one of your children. You know, some things it's just words ain't going to do. You can speak all the words you want to. And I tell you what, as a father, I understand. You can sit there and you can look as crazy as you want to. You know, sometimes it works for you. I'm serious. But there are some things you're not dealing with the child themselves. You've got to be able to distinguish between the two. Some things are the child. So you, hey, you better stop that. They're tracking. But you also got to be able to distinguish or determine whether or not it's a spiritual thing. You can look as crazy as you want, scream, rant, and rave, and everything else, all you want to. But if you're not addressing the problem, sometimes it's a spiritual thing. Spiritual influence. Right? Some things are going to take some prayer. And fasting. This is how we broaden our perspective on life. When you start looking at things for what they're worth, according to how God sees it and not how we see it alone. What does the Bible say? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine. That's Proverbs 3. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall do what? 
direct your paths no matter what position it is. You know, for some of us, for a lot of us, you know, we're we on a job, we work on a job, and we see things from our perspective. We don't know what our fellow employees are going through, what our supervisors are going through, right? But guess what? You as a child of God, you're still required to be a witness, right? How do you enhance your perspective on what's going on, though? When I was working at Arby's, that was one of the things that I really enjoyed doing, partly because I was able to be an impact on, on the people's lives that were there. I didn't know what they were going through, but over time, because I kept trying to be a witness and just be the example, be what God wanted me to be, he positioned me to be able to interact with some of these employees, and they were sharing things that they were going through. One of them told me about, you know, his brother and how he was going on trial and, you know, he's looking at facing some prison time, so on and so forth. But he wasn't really the guilty party, whatever the case may be. You know, so he's got these things going on. And so I told him, I said, well, look, you know what? I'll pray, you know, I'll pray for you and your brother that God's will will be done. You know, hopefully things will go favorable and hopefully he's learned his lesson, whatever he was supposed to learn. But my hope is, more importantly, that they come to the knowledge of Christ. How else will they see Christ if they don't see him in me? So sometimes you just got to you got to have your perspective broadened because we can look at life in a very narrow way. And then we miss out on opportunities. OK, so I know I talked about a little bit about perspective, but it's important. We can only see life through our perspective, ultimately, while our individual perspective can be influenced We can only see through our own eyes. Perhaps this is the reason why many people are less likely to believe others and what they have to share. So how do we determine what to accept and what to reject? We have been institutionalized to go with the majority rule. There is a popular term called the majority rule. Okay, and usually we got election time coming up, right? That's the rule that they they apply. Okay. Glad we ain't on video. That's the rule that they apply. The majority rule. Usually about 50% plus one, that would constitute as the majority. Right? It is defined as a political system in which the group has the most, that has the most members has the power to make decisions. In other words, if the majority of the population agrees on something, it is common practice to accept it. If the majority agrees, it must be okay. Right? Everybody's doing it. Does that not sound familiar? My daughter always comes to me talking about everybody got a cell phone, everybody's doing it. I guess we the oddball there. There's a danger to relying on this logic. Proverbs 14 and 12. Everybody knows that one, huh? Right? There is a way. It looks right. It appears right. Everybody says it's right. So what's wrong with it? 
Scripture says the end thereof are the ways of death. Let's go to Matthew seven thirteen. This is one of the things I hold on to, especially in this, in this time that we're living in right now. It is becoming very difficult. Again, I say, and you know, the purpose of this is not to talk about the world, if you didn't know. You can see what's happening in the world. We don't have to dwell on that. But the purpose is to talk about what God is looking for, what he requires of his people, what it takes ultimately to be saved. Amen. Jesus says in Matthew seven thirteen, he says, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go in thereat. Verse 14, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. You know what that word narrow means? There's not a lot of wiggle room. Oh, man. There's not a lot of wiggle room. There's not a lot of room for compromise. If you started somewhere, I got to say this. If you started somewhere with God in your relationship, where have you lost your sight where you think God is okay with you no longer doing that? If God has required something before, what makes you think that God says, well, it's okay because it's now 2016? If God expects the church to be the church yesterday, back in the day in the, in the book of Acts, what makes you think that God has changed what he expects from the church today? Does God change? No, he doesn't. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Well, then I say this. If it was a requirement for the body of Christ to fast and pray and stay in the word of God in order to accomplish the work of God back in the book of Acts and throughout the early church, what makes you think that that's different today? All right. So when times I know I should be praying and I don't pray, but then I expect God to answer on demand. We need to take a look back and see what it took, the relationship that the early church had in order for God to respond the way he did. God was responding because there was a relationship between him and his people. If God expected us to look a certain way, he said, come out from among them and be ye separate what makes us think that God has changed his mind and it's okay to blend and start looking like the world? I'm not just talking about in dress and attire, but in attitude. 
When we become Sunday-only church members, Christians, there's an issue. I can guarantee you, you're probably not walking in the power of the Holy Ghost. Is this all right? I'm saying this to, see, I told you before, what I'm looking at, what I see. So if you see me, I'm not targeting anybody in here. But the devil is a liar. Amen? That's who we're supposed to be rebuking. Well, how do you rebuke the devil? The same way Jesus did with the truth. That's why the Bible says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? It is the truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's the word of God that's going to stand. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my You can say what you want, you can think what you want, but at the end of the day, if I'm standing on the word of God, then I'm sure to last, no matter what comes my way. Watch out. Look at what path we're traveling down. To say that everybody's doing it doesn't mean that it's right watch what's influencing your perspective on life because information is great but if we have the wrong information then we know the way that seems right we got to watch out because the end might be the way to destruction so there are moments in life or there are moments when Even the masses may be in error. This is one of the things that makes us uncomfortable as Christians because it requires us to stand out. But what did the Bible say in Peter? You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, right? A peculiar people. You know what the word peculiar means, right? You're strange. To the world, you look crazy. That's crazy. What You got to dress like that. You got to act like that. You can't do this. Correction. I can do whatever I want to. But I choose to live this. You know how many people, you know how many arguments you can cut off with people? I, I, I say it again. I should never have to get in an argument with anybody about the things of God. If it ever comes down to that, then there's a heart issue. That's what we're dealing with. There's a difference with somebody being inquisitive. When somebody says, oh, man, well, why, why, can't, we, why can't we drink? And, and you have those folks that are hungry that will come and say, well, why can't we do this? And they're asking honestly because they want to know. Well, that's an opportunity. But if it, if it becomes a feuding moment... Well, I don't think we should, you know, and I've sat in in people's homes and they telling me what they feel like the Bible saying, what they don't have to do. And so, hey, you know what? By all means, if that's what you believe, that's what you feel. That's up to you. I'm just letting you know what the requirement is according to the word of God. Whatever the standard is, this is what the standard is according to the word of God. Not Not because of me. You choose what you want. Everybody has to make a choice. It's not my job to save you. 
It's not my job to make a choice for you. You make your own choice. But to stand out and be different, that takes a lot. Look at how much has been merged between the church and the world now. I'm not I'm not even going to do it. You can imagine. You can imagine. The requirement back then is no different than today. In fact, what I say is we as Christians should probably be working harder at setting a difference between the church and the world. Everybody's a Christian now, right? So if everybody's a Christian and Christians don't look the same, how can we tell the difference between those who are real and those who portray? Here's the deal. Here's the difference. Talking about being a witness, the most effective witness involves two particular factors. Not only personal observation but personal knowledge, personal experience. It has to be something personalized to you. On the day of Pentecost, we read in Acts chapter 2, when the 120 received the Holy Ghost, they were all speaking in tongues, right? In other tongues, as the Spirit gave the utterance. And then there were multitudes of people around who witnessed They observed what was going on, right? And they had a knowledge because they understood in the language that they were speaking. But you know what they were lacking? The experience for themselves. They could have gone with that and said, you know what? Man, there were people speaking in other tongues and, you know, and we we heard the languages that they were speaking. We know they don't speak those languages, but they could never tell you any further beyond what they observed. To be a witness means you have to have a personal experience, a personal encounter. And can I tell you, that doesn't just stop with just one event. I received the Holy Ghost today, and so I'm good. Once saved, always saved. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Now, let me clarify something. If you live right... And you stay in the spirit of God. That is your security. That keeps you so you can be saved. But you can't just live the life you want to live and then, you know, because I got the Holy Ghost, I can. No, it don't work that way. I got the Holy Ghost, man. I'm saved. Now I can go ahead and get my cancer stick because I got my ticket. You might punch your ticket a little bit sooner than what you expect. God desires for us to be engaged in the work. Being a witness is not just, oh, I, you know, I did this one thing and I'm good to go. I checked the block. No, being a witness is a lifetime experience with God. So we talk about being a Christian witness. First of all, in order for you to be able to witness about the things of God, you have to have an encounter with God. Being regenerated, new birth, right? New birth experience, the things that we have already read about. How can you tell somebody about the power of God if it's not in you? 
You got, you got those folks, and I'm not knocking them, but you'll hear some people, I felt goosebumps. That's great. That means you was in the right atmosphere, hopefully. I know something else that can give you goosebumps too. But if you was in the right atmosphere, you felt something. That's good. But did it fill you? What happened to you? Not around you. What happened to you? You got some folks, I seen a white light. I just felt so good. That's great. But what happened to you? I seen an angel and he talked to me. You better watch out for them angels. God has God has a host of angels, and that's a great thing, but you know, there's one other joker who can transform himself into an angel of light. You better watch. <laughs> you hear those folks always talking about they heard from an angel. They may not be lying. They just don't know what angel they listening to. You know that's what demons are, right? <laughs> Fallen angels. So you got to watch who you listening to. But when you talk about that new birth experience, you know, we talked about it before. I was talking about it uh, yesterday. When you have that experience, no one has to tell you. This is what empowers you to be a witness. Because when you have that experience, you begin to you, you witness things that's happening inside of you. And then, of course, we know that the Bible talks about speaking in other tongues as the spirit gives the utterance. We don't even emphasize on the tongues part. We do believe that now. Don't, we don't take away from that. But we don't dwell on that because that's an automatic thing that comes as a sign of receiving the Holy Ghost. So we don't have to, you know, prompt you to, well, you better learn, you know, uh, you better learn Indian. Learn these languages because you're going to be speaking one of these when you get filled with it. No, that's not how it works. As the Spirit gives the utterance. This is what empowers us to become Christian witnesses. The personal experience that we have. We can observe. We can have a knowledge of. As we come to church, you know, we learn things. We learn things in in discipleship class. We learn things on Wednesday night. You know, we hear what the Word of God is being preached, so on and so forth. But until you have that personal experience, you cannot be a an effective Christian witness for God. Now, let me say this so nobody leaves here thinking, well, you know, you can, you can witness what you have experienced. But until you have experienced that part of it, you cannot help others get to that point. Some folks will hear you. They may listen. But until you become empowered, because you're not operating in your own abilities and your own power, you're operating in the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. So I'm not discouraging you from sharing it. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can still share the information. But until you have that experience for yourself, you cannot be an effective Christian witness. Y'all with me? So. What do you have to do to be an effective Christian witness? It starts with submission. It starts with you being totally submitted to God. See, this is what this is what happens in our society today. 
We got a lot of folks who believe that they're saved and they've been lied to. They've been misled. This is why I'm pointing this out. It's very important that we make a distinction. It's very important that we share the right message so that people understand that in order for you to be born again, according to what Jesus said, you got to be born again of what? Water and of the spirit, right? That whole experience is about how submitted you are to God. Godly sorrow worketh repentance, right? In order for you to even come to a point where you feel the way God feels about sin, it's God that brings you there. This is one of the toughest messages to share with folks who, who feel like they have it all together. They have it. You mean there's more? You mean I'm missing something? According to what the scripture says. This is tough. It's easy to reach out to folks that don't claim to have anything. But when you're talking to folks who feel like they have it. And then these folks are walking around and they're trying to overcome things in life, but they don't have the power to do it. Because you have to have this experience for yourself. I guarantee you when you have that experience, no one can rob you of that. No one can tell you different. The enemy will come. Guess what he did to Jesus? He tempted Jesus in the wilderness. And, you know, it mentions three things, three specific things that he asked Jesus to do. But the Bible says when he was done tempting him, I don't even know how many other things he presented to Jesus. The Bible says when he was done tempting him, he left. But Jesus was able to overcome because he had the power to do so. Guess what? That's why he says you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me. Here's the beautiful thing about it. God is not willing that any should perish. He's willing to pour out his spirit upon any soul who is willing to receive it. A lot of times it's not God holding back. It's us. God is waiting for us to make a decision. And every moment that passes by, we have to ask ourselves. And it's not just, you know, for some of us, most of us, you know, we, we have the Holy Ghost. I don't know who all doesn't or whatever, but, you know, for most of us, we, we have the Holy Ghost. That's great. It doesn't stop there. Are you continuing to be submitted to the Holy Ghost? Because that's the only way you're going to be an effective Christian witness. So a lot of times we talk about people who don't have the Holy Ghost, but some of us who do are still not effective in being a Christian witness. Because we're not submitted to him. The Bible tells us to submit ourselves. In fact, Paul says, walk in the spirit, right? Stay in the spirit, live in the spirit so that you do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you think for a moment that you're going to make it based upon your flesh and your own abilities, it's not going to happen. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. But without him, I can do nothing. Brothers and sisters, as we talk about the power of Christian witness, there's a power to this thing. Jesus says, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall speak. 
New tongues, right? What else? You're going to be able to cast out demons, right? You're going to be able to take up serpents and you shall not be harmed, right? If you drink, if you drink something poisonous, somebody trying to get you, they're trying to take you out because they don't like you. Wouldn't it be awesome, man? You sit there and you drunk that thing and you, you know, I, I just drunk some Kool-Aid. I didn't know it was poison. I'm supposed to be dead right now. But because of the power of the Holy Ghost, I'm still alive. Let me share this last thing with you. Your relationship, wherever it may be, God understands your heart. He understands where you are. And he also knows your outcome. Please know this. The enemy cannot do anything to you that God doesn't allow. And if it is for you, if God says that I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, everybody point to yourself and say that includes me. Come on now, you got to believe it. Point to yourself and say that includes me. The devil is talking right now to somebody, but I rebuke the enemy. For everything he's trying to do. The truth is being spoken according to the word of God. And the enemy doesn't like it. But let me encourage you. Don't you give up your hope. Don't you lose sight. You let God enhance your perspective in life. So that you can continue to overcome. And be effective in what God is calling you to do. As we continue on in this in the upcoming weeks. We're going to talk about different areas of life. That we can be a Christian witness. We'll talk about some of those things, Lord willing, so that we can continue to work on doing what God has called us to do, and that is to be witnesses unto him. Amen? That's what he desires of each and every one of us. Amen? God bless you. Let's take a break in Jesus' name.